Welcome to the podcast where we track down Australian war veterans, have a chat with them and hear their stories. I'm Alex Lloyd and this is Life on the Line. Survival is the rule of the day. My jaw was broken. I could feel my molars in the centre of my mouth. We weren't out there to take country. We were out there. At the end of the day, everyone wearing green is a soldier. Getting yourself blown up does some interesting things to you. Uh, a place like the Middle East is constantly There's changing. What we do there is constantly changing. We killed, though. And this, the thing was our own minefield. He hauled me up with a broken whiskey bottle and machete. Welcome to another bonus episode of Life on the Line. Today you'll hear an interview with John Hall Lacey, a World War II veteran. This is the first of our featured archive interviews, which you'll hear a couple more of this year on the podcast. We conducted this interview with John for the World War II documentary called For School and Country. The late John Hall Lacey was one of the veterans we interviewed for the series. Angus Horton spoke to John with me behind the camera on 12 June 2012 in John's home in Mossvale. Today you'll hear a couple of highlight stories from that interview. It's an older interview, so it will sound a bit different to normal, but I hope you enjoy. In September of 1937, John Hall Lacey left the Knox Preparatory School. John had developed some problems with malaria and was headed to see a specialist in Germany. He was staying with a family friend in Germany and had an incredible encounter with Rudolf Hess, who was Adolf Hitler's deputy in the Nazi party. She was staying in the same hotel with me, or the pension, and I was skiing on the slope with her, and Hess was not far away, and she said to me, she said, do you want to meet Rudolf Hess? Because she knew who he was. I said, no thanks, I knew who he was. Anyway, he happened to see her, and he came across, uh, spoke to her, and uh, anyway, she introduced me as an Australian in German, and he saw in German, uh, they were good fighters, now because it fought in the First War. Uh, he was eating a bit of chocolate, and uh, anyway, he didn't say much more. Uh, I was having a good look at him. I still remember his very swarthy skin, black, dark skin, mm. jet black hair, and he, his eyes were amazing. They were sort of a dark brown, or black almost, very piercing. He sort of looked mm. at me very, very, you know, pretty sharply. He shook me by the hand, you know, when we were just. Uh, he was eating his, eating his chocolate and he offered me a bit. And I thought, well, I better not be rude and you know, say no. So I took it. and. Uh, it was very nice chocolate. It was Swiss chocolate, I think, because mm. uh, they got the, they got all the, the good stuff, the Nazis. Mm. <laughs> and then he just said, "Put uh, and shook me by the hand, and off he went. But he had the swastika on his arm. He was dressed in ski clothes. Um, but I remember him very vividly. Hmm. John, um, were there any other harrowing experiences that you had getting out of Germany? before you got to England? Uh, yes, I had quite a few, but I had a few um, harrowing ones or worrying ones before that. Um, one, or the first one was I saw in Hinderlung, when I was in this little village, saw the uh, Hitler Youth on the opposite side of the, uh, the uh, street, and the people who were on that side of the street came across to where I was, because they were very arrogant you know, they walk over the top of you, they were terrible. Uh, they were dressed in khaki, they had a swastika on their arms and 
brown peak capped. That's the, that, was their, that was their dress. And, um, uh, but they, you know, I didn't, they, that's the only time I saw them, that's all. And the other, the second one, which worried me quite a bit, was I was in a little town called Immerstadt, which was north of him, where I was, in Hindelung. Um, and I saw this brown shirt, who were a pretty nasty lot. They were sort of under the Gestapo, uh, coming along the street in front of me. And I went to dodge him, and he tripped over my foot and went flat on his face. And I didn't pick him up. I, I shot through, you know, into the crowd. And I was a bit worried for a little while that uh, he was sort of got up and sort of saw me and was following me, but uh, he didn't. Yeah, I was too quick uh, getting through the, the crowd <laughs> before he got up. Some pretty hair-raising pre-war experiences there. That encounter with Hess stuck with John for the rest of his life. Coming to World War II itself, here's a memorable moment from John's time in Borneo at the Battle of Balakpapan. And then, of course, we bought, as I say, bought this LCM at Morata to go to Balakpapan. Uh, we landed on uh, Balakpapan on 1st July 1945. I didn't do very much there because uh, I got a letter from my uncle, my mother's brother, saying my parents were getting divorced, my father wanted to marry somebody else, and my father and I never got on. Yeah. When I read it, I just dropped the shock. I just passed out. The next time I was on, on this bed, and they were putting these icy cold poultices on my forehead to keep my temperature, because I had a, hundred, a temperature of 105, you know, shock. And I was so angry, I was very angry. Uh, and this uh, American uh, doctor was there with his big black beard, and he said to me, he said, you'll be right in the morning, find the Japs. And I said, my oath. And, uh, but uh, the boys decided, because I was so angry, because when you're like that, you've got no fear. Yeah. And uh, they, they wouldn't let me go ashore for uh, 24 hours. And uh, the next morning, I went ashore and walked up the track and found the boys and they were loading stores or something and uh, anyway the, Jap the Japanese started shelling us and there was a, a two 24-pound gun, pound of guns, the artillery were just up uh, near where we were and uh, the shells were coming closer and closer and they landed, one landed right in, in the middle of the 25-pounder, I saw one bloke got chopped across the chest and he was killed. Anyway, after that, the boys shot into this concrete bunker which was nearby and they were yelling out for me to come and I said, no, I'm right, I'm not coming. And I went on working and the shells were coming closer and closer and the next one landed, I suppose, which uh, was in the doorway and I could see this big shrub of shrap coming towards me I just had a slouch hat on, no teal helmet, and um, it just missed me by about three inches. I thought to myself it was a bit close. I heard when it went over my head, I hit this coconut tree behind me, and I heard the, heard this noise, and I looked around and I saw the co coconut tree just going, you know, over. I thought to myself that was a bit close, and I said, well, I'm not staying here. And so I just walked to where the boys were in the concrete bunker, and this Pee Wee Craig, or Fred Craig, grabbed on me and he said, you silly young beggar, he said, and he was crying. 
Yes, nice crying. And they pulled me back in, and uh, next year I landed where I was, so I was a bit lucky. You were incensed by your dad? Yes, yeah, I was just so angry. When you're angry like that, you've got no fear. You know, you can't, you don't care. But the funny part was, after I was singing, I always wanted to be tall like my father. He was six foot four. He was a Royal Navy First World War and Second World War. He went up to both of them. And um, I always wanted to be tall, you know, and I hated being sh shortish. I thought to me afterwards that had I been tall, I would have had my head knocked off. Mm. So I was quite thankful to be short after that. John enjoyed being honoured and thanked for his service at the documentary's premiere in May 2015 at John's school, Knox Grammar. Towards the end of his life, he found himself travelling back to Knox more often, with the help of his daughter Jenny, to attend old boys' functions. John passed away peacefully at 92 years of age on 4 July 2016. www.forschoolandcountry.com Thanks for listening to this bonus episode of Life on the Line. You can find us at www.lifeonthelinepodcast.com, which is how we're also known on social media. And if you know a veteran serviceman or servicewoman with a story to tell, please get in touch. We would love to have them on the podcast. Life on the Line is brought to you by Thistle Productions. Artwork by Big Cat Design. Music by Dan Van Werkhoven. Thanks for listening, and lest we forget. Mm -hmm.